Well, good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Good morning. If you've been with us, you know how this starts. If you haven't, let me get you caught up because I know it's summer and vacation and travel and all types of other things. And oh, yeah, it's hot in this gym. I know it's been hard to keep up. So let me catch you up. Uh, We're in a series right now called Send. For those of you who have been here, can you remind people what this series is called? Go ahead. For those of you who just found out in this moment to remind yourself what this series is called, go ahead. Amen. This series is called Send. What we're trying to do is we are taking a deeper look into a passage that we preached just a few Sundays ago. Um, And I really think that it's important that we do a deep dive on this one verse in particular. You know, when we preached Acts chapter 1 on uh, Ascension Sunday, it just didn't feel like we were able to do verse 8 justice, especially seeing as how often used and misused that passage is. And so we've been taking our good old time walking through the true implications of Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We talked about how in the first week he says you will be sent to Jerusalem. And what he's really implying with that is he's implying that we are the ones that are being mobilized to carry out God's will on earth. That this isn't really like something passive we can just sit around and wait on or that we should just sit around and wait on that is God's kingdom arriving. But it's something that we can actively participate in right now. And as a matter of fact, we have been given all power and all authority through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit to actually exercise those heavenly, that heavenly authority over the powers and principalities that are in our world. Then last week, we talked about being sent to the entire region of Judea. And we talked about when these disruptive moments, when these divine or evil interruptions come into our lives, having the spiritual discipline to pause and to ask God, what is he up to? And then being willing to let go of our security and fear and to participate in the movement of the Holy Spirit. And this week, I'm going to take you just two words further in that passage. So if you didn't get the hint already, I would invite you to turn to the book of Acts in the first chapter And we're going to read, surprise, surprise, verse 8. Acts 1, verse 8. These are Jesus' words to his disciples. Jesus says this, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Do you remember when we were younger and your parent, grandparent, or legal guardian would tell you, now go clean your room and sweep the floor. And sweep the floor? They would say, you're not getting up from this table until you finish your fruit and your vegetables. And the vegetables? 
they would say, boy, you stink. Go take a shower and brush your teeth. And brush my teeth? It was the and that killed us. Listen, we didn't want to do the first thing anyway, but now you're just stacking. Now you're just asking me to do too much. Now you're just piling on the things that I already don't want to do. It's so much. It was the and that killed us. I don't want to clean my room and sweep the floor. It's funny that Jesus chose his words the way that he chose them. To say, you will be sent to all Judea and Samaria this dude. Oh my gosh. I was overwhelmed at Jerusalem. Now you're saying all of Judea and Samaria? My gosh, I have to do the front of this worksheet and the back? It's too much. It's too much. It's interesting that Jesus decided to use the and to say it's Judea and it's Samaria because Jesus could have just as easily said all the land that, is, that God meant for Israel and he would, have, he would have been equally as inclusive, right? He could have just said all the land that God originally intended for Jerusalem or uh, for Israel, because you may or may not know, but Judea and Samaria were once a part of the nation of Israel. They were once a part of the same land, right? But that wasn't the world that they lived in, and it's certainly not the world that we live in now. The world that they lived in saw separation between Judea and Samaria, even though both were a part of the promise of God. Reaching all the way back to Genesis, they saw Judea and Samaria as separate. Jews looked at Samaritans as second-class citizens because they were ethnically mixed. They believed things a bit differently, and they were to be avoided at all costs. Even if it meant being willing to travel days out of your way to get around Samaria to where you were trying to go. But Jesus' mandate to his disciples, and I believe the Spirit's message for us this morning, sees the mission of God go right through Samaria. In other words, it was no longer to be avoided. I have three very simple but very uncomfortable points for us this morning, so I, I, I hope you're ready to get mad at me. Some of you are already looking like you got your emails and those drafts open. That's good. You're going to need to send them all. Just remember to send them to J-A-D-A at thirdstreetchurch.com, and we're going to read and respond to every single one. I have three of them for you this morning. The first one is this. We are sent to the unavoidable. Those, Jesus, those disciples, excuse me, those disciples who walked with Jesus were also there at, and who were also there at Jesus' ascension would have certainly already known the standard that Jesus had set for their behavior towards Samaritans. Come on, church folk, you know the story. John chapter 4, right? 
John chapter 4, specifically starting in uh, verse 1 and reading through 4, says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, who was a problem for them, right? He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And verse 4 of chapter 4 says, And he, meaning Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. Jesus is trying to go from one end of the land to the other and smack dab in the middle of his travel is this land that Jews commonly avoided called Samaria. And the text says he had to pass. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking had to? That has to be a translation error because I can't imagine who's telling Jesus what to do. Nah, Jesus, you're going to get up. You're going to get up from this land and on your way to Galilee, you must take this road, right? Who's telling Jesus? Who among the disciples are like, Jesus, this is what you got to do, right? Was it Mary? Was Mary present? And she's like, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, no. The phrase had to, the word, the, uh, the literal Greek word there is a day, which is a translation of, or we use to get ought or should. Jesus should go through Samaria. Jesus ought to go through Samaria. But more literally in the New Testament context, it was used to communicate a divine appointment, a divine interruption. This was Jesus being attentive to the Holy Spirit. This was God, the Father, laying it on Jesus' heart to go through Samaria. There were no geographical obligations, right? It's not like 62 was closed. Still, even back then, down to two lanes. Like, what are we doing? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Be like 62. Never stop working on yourself. Listen. There wasn't a geographical obligation because there was a very commonly traveled route for Jews around Samaria. That's where everybody went. They went around. There wasn't a cultural mandate or a cultural expectation that should say Jesus ought to go through Samaria because all Jews were going around Samaria. Jesus felt the spiritual conviction from his father that he wasn't to take the commonly traveled path. He wasn't to, to fulfill the cultural expectations. He wasn't to take the normal geographical route. Jesus wasn't to live by these expectations or restrictions, but he was to be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. More specifically, Jesus was to confront what the Father had designed to come across his path. And that, in this instance, was the land of Samaria that had been avoided by the Jews, but was no longer to be avoided. Let me ask this question, and let's just go, and get, go ahead and get all the way in your business. Who or what issue do you actively avoid? Like, who have you been avoiding? And that first person that just popped in your head, and you're like, no, 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 this is church. We're not talking about them. I'm talking about them. Who is it that you've been avoiding? What is the issue that is so prevalent in front of your face you can't escape it because you refuse to delete social media? What is the issue right in front of your face that you just can't avoid? 
I think back to what the world was like in January and February of 2020. We heard whispers, right? Those of us who watched the news on special occasions even caught, you know, early previews of it in January and February. Some of us, some of us were even getting sick. Not going to say who that was. It was me. We heard the whispers, but because we didn't want it to be true, we kept acting as if COVID-19 wasn't going to be a threat. Oh, it's just the latest. We'll get over it. Bruh. Talk about tweets that didn't age well. Right? Unavoidable. Unavoidable. We didn't want to admit that it could have been a threat. Some of us still don't admit that it's a problem. We didn't want to admit that it was going to be attention. Let's get more personal. It's sometimes it's easier to just not have the conversation, isn't it? I'm not talking about COVID anymore, although in some of your houses that still applies. Sometimes it's easier to just not have the conversation, right? Some of us are like waiting because we know that somebody in our lives needs to hear the truth and love. But we're waiting, hoping that they catch it passively or that God will bring somebody else along to communicate to him. Or that maybe we can just bring him to church and Corey will yell it into existence. Rather than being willing to have the conversation ourselves. Right? And so we, we bring those tensions to church. But then what's the unavoidable when we, when we gather as the church? I constantly get challenged I keep hearing that I need to go deeper. It's so annoying. They keep telling me about these summer studies that are supposed to be, make me more spiritually disciplined, spiritually form me or whatever. And if I hear one more time that I need to join a huddle, I don't want to meet in somebody's living room. It's weird. I don't know them. I don't feel connected. Oh, that was too touchy? I'll go back to it. I'll go back to it. I'll go back to it. Right? The unavoidable. Corey's always telling me, get into the community. Love the city that you're in. You've been placed here for a reason. You want to know what's unavoidable in the city? Child poverty rate. 56.9%. The second worst of any city in America. Not the county, the country. You know what else is unavoidable? Black infant mortality rate at 14.3, two times higher in the city than white babies. Speaking of two times or second highest, let's talk about our violence. Let's talk about statistically what makes us the second most dangerous small city in America. Awkward silence, let's talk about our schools and where they rank in the state. Y'all all gonna drive out of here 
through a neighborhood or through downtown. Let's talk about human trafficking and homelessness. You can't be here and ignore these things. You can't drive to 1253 3rd Street Southeast once a week for some feel good and not acknowledge the issues that are in our city. You can't. Here's a crazy thought. Crazy thought. What if God brought you to 3rd Street today, not for you to consume great worship and a, and a rude message, but to put you, to put in front of you the mission that God is calling you to in the city, in your community, in your personal life, maybe even the person sitting next to you. In whatever spaces, places, or relationships we find ourselves, I pray, I pray we consider that perhaps God designed it to be that way. That perhaps God was putting this in front of us and is tending, intending for us to go towards a divine interruption. Wow. I'm just getting started. Point two. So if we are to be sent then to the unavoidable, then our message and our ministry must be inclusive. As you continue reading in John 4, Jesus encounters a woman in Samaria. When you get to verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. This is at the well that Jesus had settled next to. And Jesus said to this woman, Give me a drink, because his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. I wish I had time. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is already transcending cultural expectations just being there, right? On top of the fact that he is there, he comes across a woman. It would have been not the most culturally appropriate for a teacher to be interacting in such a way with a woman in public. On top of the fact that Jesus is a Jew and she is a Samaritan. On top of the fact, as you find out if you keep reading, a Samaritan woman is a part of a couple scandals back in the city. Whether she perpetuates them or is a victim is a conversation for another day, but the point is she's got the reputation. So much so that she has to go to draw water while nobody else is at the well because don't nobody else want to have dealings with her. But what does Jesus offer? He says, living water. Well, who cares? I'm going to tell you something. If you turn the page just before that, in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, who is a man 
who is a Jew, and who is somebody who holds a position of power and influence. And what does Jesus offer him? This ain't a trick question. This is Third Street. What does he offer? Living water. You mean to tell me that Jesus came all the way to this world to offer the same thing to society's highest of the high as he does to society's lowest of the low? What Jesus had to offer Nicodemus is the same that he offered to the Samaritan. Can you imagine the disciples when they got back from getting food? They come in with their bags of, of, of Taco Bell ready to tell them how the, how the cashier accidentally slipped an extra chalupa in for free. They didn't have to pay for it. They come in excited, right? And they're, and they're all on their way back. They're talking about like, I can't believe Jesus talked to Nicodemus, man. That's so crazy, bro. What do you think that conversation was like? Nicodemus is so dope, bro. I used to have a, a poster of Nicodemus on my wall growing up. If my mom knew that I knew somebody that knew Nicodemus, bro, she would freak out. And then they walk up and they see him talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. What? The same problem that the disciples had back then, that Jews had back then, I don't know if it's going to catch you off guard or not, but we have now. We have a problem with inclusivity, don't we? Some of y'all, I just said inclusivity and your butt cheeks puckered. We lack, as a society, Somebody just looked and was like, that's true. They did. Yeah. We lack, as a society, empathy, don't we? Yeah, we, do. we lack empathy. I don't know. I know some nice people. I don't. I'm on Facebook. Listen, we lack empathy. We don't know how to love through things we don't agree with. We don't know. We don't know how to love through things we don't agree with. And we regularly lose sight of the mercy that Christ extended to us. Now, let me be clear about something because I already know that half of y'all, statistically speaking, is mad at me. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that the answer is to tolerate everything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the answer is to let a culture that cares more about building a liberal agenda than the kingdom of God be what dictates what's right or wrong. I'm not saying that. But I'm also saying, just because I picked on liberals, let me come to the other side. I'm also saying that some of y'all conservatives lack a whole lot of mercy, grace, and truth. John 1, Jesus says, I came full of grace and truth. John 3 says that God did not send his son to condemn but in order that the world might be saved. Jesus didn't come to say, you're right, you're wrong, deal with it. He came so that we all might be saved from the burning building that is the society and the systems that we have built. But when we leave people out, we lack part of God. When we just blatantly leave people out, when we don't make the extra effort to love through what is hard, we lack God. We lack a whole part of God. We lack a whole part of his mission. And we put our light under a basket. 
Who is it difficult for you to imagine in the kingdom of God? What's the section of society that you're just like, yeah, that barrier around them, that's a basket and it's going to hell. What hard lines have you been drawing as to who or what you're willing to accept? Who or what is it really hard for you to understand where they're coming from? I just don't get it. How can we be reading the same Bible? Who's that? He said me. What work do you need to do to grow in inclusion? Let me encourage you to start with empathy. Being willing to hear somebody else's story. Let me encourage you to then extend to them grace. And I think a lot of us think grace means that we make everything acceptable. It doesn't. The best definition of grace I ever heard is the safety net, is the sef- the safety net under uh, the, the trapeze that they're walking, right? The tightrope that somebody's walking. What's the safety net there for? It's not to make sure that they don't die. It's to guarantee that they walk again. Some of us lack that. Some of us lack the desire to see people walk again. And then if you really feel like you've done that hard work, let me encourage you to go on then to mercy, remembering how shoddy and shady you were and low-key still are, but Jesus at just the right time included you. Now I know this congregation well enough to know that I still have too many people agreeing with me for me to have hit everyone. Some of y'all feel real inclusive. Some of y'all feel like you are actively a part of inclusivity in your workplace, in your home. But can I ask you something further? Are you fighting though for unity? Because there's a difference. You can be inclusive without being unified. Some of y'all want people of color at your table, but you don't really want to hear what they have to say. Some of you, some of you, so as to not appear as a bigot, want people with differing sexualities than you near you, but don't really, don't really want to go there, right? Are you being inclusive? Are you fighting for unity? Third and final point, and then I'm out your way. Maybe for a month. We'll see what the baby, de- baby does, right? God willing. Some of y'all are like, oh, that made it a little easier to deal with it, knowing that I don't have to see him after this for a little while. Okay, okay. I guess they get out for point three. Let's go. Point three, we must adhere to unity at all costs. Samaritan woman is desperately trying to like get her head around what Jesus is saying. And so she, so she asks him, she says, she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, the mountain that we stand on, this mountain in Samaria. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you 
putting him in a basket, generalizing, talking to him about a Jewish, as a Jewish male. I know it's hard for us to believe, but sometimes people generalize folks and type folks, right? She says, but you, like a Jewish man would, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You ever thought about a third option? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Here it is. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. She's speaking to an issue specific to Jews and Gentiles as to where and how they are to worship, right? She's recognizing She's recognizing that Jesus is including her, yes, even her, in his message. But she's still got questions. She's like, well if, well, if I'm included, if you're willing to make room for me, which way is the right way? Right? Is it, is it for me to go to Jerusalem? Or is it for all the Jews to come to me and my perspective? Right? She's asking... Which side is supposed to assimilate, right? Are you about to assimilate to us? Are you a Jewish man about to make yourself comfortable in Samaritan culture? Or am I the Samaritan, the second-class citizen, according to you, the Jew, supposed to assimilate to your culture and your expectations? Which side is it supposed to be? Who's right? And then Jesus gives an answer that we want to call a Jesus juke, but he was Jesus so he can do what he wants. He says, neither. Amen. Well, that's not helpful, Jesus. He says, but that's the real. It's neither. And Jesus, furthermore, is giving her a sneak peek as to what the kingdom is like. There are parts that you both have right. And there are parts that both of you have horribly wrong. That's not the way that it works is for you to come all the way over here or for me to go all the way to you. The kingdom is not like this world. And when we jump back to Acts 1.8, what does Jesus say the disciples receive, thus giving them the power and authority of this world? The spirit. The spirit that brings truth. Paul would later write that your spiritual worship, because that's what she's asking about, right? Your spiritual worship is giving your bodies for God to use as a vessel for his mission. So that, he writes in Romans, we would not be conformed to this world. It's not about one way or the other. It's not going to look how Twitter tells you it's supposed to look. But we should be transformed by the renewal of our mind that by testing, we may discern what is the will of God. It's not going to be about who's right and wrong in the kingdom. It's, going to be a, it's not going to be about who's assimilating to who. What it's about is the unity of the, of the body being able to discern which is the will of God. 
We collectively must discern what is God's will with his presence in us. Not in a place on your side of the tracks or mine. It's in us. It's in community. It's in the body. And what does Jesus say? The Spirit will empower the disciples to do? Go. Take it out there. Take it to the unavoidable. Take the perspective that you have gained by being unified and take it to the unavoidable issues of our society and rule on behalf of a kingdom that our political charts don't recognize. As this thing grows, there's need for further instruction. Because thank God the gospel wasn't staying amongst homogenous people. It was no longer just for the Jews. And so the apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, I'll slow down for you. Humility and gentleness, patience, that's where he got me. Nah, he got me a gentleness. Let's not cap, yeah, all right, relax. Don't be so ready to agree, right? <laughs> Bearing with one another in love. Here's the part. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace because there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Adhere to unity. Eager to maintain unity. Some of y'all are so desperate to be right or wrong that we've forgotten to be united. We've forgotten that the actual goal is kingdom unity. That we gain perspective. What should be the byproduct of the Spirit sending us and responding is unity. That's how I know some of us are out of pocket. If the byproduct isn't unity of the body of Christ, then we're going about it the wrong way. Some of us are only going to the unavoidable if we think the unavoidable will admit that we're right. Some of us are only inclusive of those who are willing to assimilate to our agenda. But what it looks like for God's people to be unified is a diverse body of people not separated by the things that obviously divide us, but are united by the one thing that unites us. And together, we shouldn't look like the world. Together, we conform not to the patterns of one side of the aisle or the other, but together we discern the will of God. But how on earth are you going to adhere to unity when every little thing that doesn't fit your cultural expectation causes you to get up and leave the table? How are you going to adhere to unity of the body when you upset? When you can't push through the hard? Man, if pastor yells at me one more time, I'm out. I ain't standing that 
man. If Rev sings that bridge one more time, man, if he doesn't start to sing a song that, if y'all don't start something that, if you don't find a way to make me feel how you want to adhere to unity of the body when every little thing makes you upset. How you want to adhere to unity, how you want there to be an expression of Jesus that this world so desperately needs that doesn't look like one side of the aisle or the other when you're not willing to do the hard work of being a part of it. You know how many churches we have in the country? Over 300,000. You know how many of them actually hold values of just being multiracial? Less than 200. That's just on one issue. We're still segregated. That's just on one issue. I didn't even talk about all the other ones. That's one. How you want to adhere to the unity of the body, but get yourself up from the table. Are you actually committed to unity? Are you actually committed to it? At all costs? Because it costs you something. It costs you some comfort at the very least. This is the tension with and, right? The and gets us. Judea, cool, people like me, got it. And Samaria? This is the tension with and. The tension, church, is unavoidable. Some of it's unavoidable because of the fallen nature of the world. And some of it's unavoidable because God is diverse. And none of us reflect him perfectly on our own. And so what's required of us is to let the gospel of inclusion infiltrate and transform our hearts. But we can't do that without empathy, grace, and mercy. So that together we can discern the will of God for our community, for our city, for our lives, for our world. We have to do that together though. so that we can discern the will of God and form a more informed perspective on how to actively combat the systems and principalities of our world. So that we can, from a more informed perspective, build the kingdom that he's saving us for. I don't know about you. That's the church I want to be a part of. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of inclusion. Because we remember that we too were once considered outsiders. And that at just the right time, Christ came and died for us too. Father, 
we desperately want to see your kingdom at work on earth. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here. But we need help. God, I pray that you would give us, through this service, our daily bread. I pray that the things that were meant, that your spirit meant for us, would stick and that the rest of it wouldn't be a sticking point. God, I pray that you would forgive us for the ways we've been avoiding, for the ways that we haven't included. We've been leaving people out. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we have not been adhering to the unity of the body. God, I pray that you would lead us on a path not of temptation, not of a path that sees you as the perfect conservative candidate or the perfect liberal candidate, but sees you as God sees you as the ruler over all creation, sees your way as the way, and sees us leave behind us a trail worth people following. We pray these things in the name that makes it all possible, and that is Jesus. All who believe say, bless up.